0: Head to MikeReinald.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reinald Show, we talk about vibration therapy. We talk about injury patterns as we age. And we talk about movement screens that are specific to each sport. The Ask Mike Reinald Show. Helping people feel better. Move better. Want better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We're up at Champion PT and Performance in Boston, Massachusetts. Lenny McCrina Dave, Tilly, Dan, Pope, and Mike Scadudo. Is that I had weird to, I'm on the left. Side? I, I had to, to something's wrong with my vision, I had to like back up to see if that, if that was Dan Pope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dan, Dan, is that you?
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt, I'm definitely getting old. Uh, we're up here answering all your amazing <laughs> questions. We got a, a lot of questions the last few weeks. This has actually been a good few weeks. New year, so, new you. So uh, yeah. Not to date them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so we're good. Lots of comments, by the way, on my facial hair. I think everybody's enjoyed my facial hair progression. I like the land. gel. The gel is back. I'm not, um, it's um. Yeah. Is it pomade? pomade? Yeah. I don't know what the it is. The long-haired Mike with slight curve That's of the gel. You like that? You're just jealous of K Mac. I'm you back, baby. <laughs> John Larue put a comment on Facebook about all my hair. It was awesome. I okay. something something uh, we got some amazing students. So K Mac, Kevin McNamara from the the uh, Fitchburg State University. That's not in the state. That it's in it's in it's in Franklin not, Pierce. Franklin Pierce not, not of, Pierce, not in the state of not in the state of Pittsburgh. Frank, Franklin Pierce University of Phoenix
1: <laughs> yeah, of Arizona. New
0: Hampshire. It's a weird one for us. <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's <laughs> a lot of words. So Frank yeah, Franklin Pierce is up in New Hampshire, but apparently they have a satellite in Arizona. Um, yeah, but that was they one professor that was like, Arizona. I'm sick of the cold weather, I'm going elsewhere. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't blame him. So, K-Max here from the University of Phoenix in Franklin Pierce, Fitchburg State, Alabama. <laughs> um, we're here. I'm getting worse at these. <laughs> yeah, these are And then Jan Conklin from, yes. from New York Medical College. Nice. I literally just met her 20 seconds. ago. Gymnastics takeover. <laughs> so, so this is Jan's first day. Real wide, uh, wide mm-hmm. eye experience. I'm sure. A thousand gymnastics. I can already shout-out. tell she's gonna be amazing. I can just tell. So because she's a gymnast. So K Mac, do you want to uh, do you want to introduce the first question? I can't see you. You're like right behind me. But yeah. K Mac, can you, know you want to get started? So first question is from Anthony in California.
1: What are your thoughts on vibration therapy? in reference to these handheld vibrating
0: massagers as an adjunct treatment in an outpatient orthopedic setting. All right, so what are our opinions on vibration massagers on as an adjunct treatment in the outpatient orthopedic setting? I- Kind of like the way you phrase it. Mm-hmm. I, I oh, just no. use
2: it only for everybody. That's it. So why, why adjunct? I would just use it for every, no. Kidding. And I know that's what people are gonna say, right? So that's good that you said adjunct because I, it's I, one small piece of the puzzle. I right? feel like
0: he's already right. He he, he predisposed our <laughs> question, which is fantastic. Right. Um, but you know, is so. All right, vibration therapy. Do we use it here, champion? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Right. We we use it. We've tried yeah. a bunch of different devices. We're currently using the uh, Hyper Ice. What's the thing called? The uh, Hyper Ice. It's yeah. the, uh, the, Hyper the 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 Hyper, hi- the, the Hyper, Hyper, bowls bowl. Hyper by Hyper Ice. Ice. Yeah. The handheld trigger thing. I've used them all. I I was <laughs> using the DMS. I don't even know what that stands for. Uh, I don't know. 10, 12 years ago, that thing's like twenty five hundred bucks still. For a, for a thing, the thing's amazing by the way, but um, I've been using these for a while, so who wants to take the first stab as to why we use it? That's Dave. I... <laughs>
1: How does that mean, Well, so,
0: all right, let me start off. I feel like we say this on every episode, but a lot of people on Instagram will not only disagree with you, they'll probably try to shame you and make you feel like you're a bad human if you use one of these. Yeah. Does anybody, does anybody... I love that. I'm
2: ready then. (laughs) Does
0: anybody, yeah, does anybody want to answer the question based on that? Because we all said we use it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody intentionally not use it? No. All right, so why do we use it? There
1: is good research, and this is actually ironically from Dr. Sands in gymnastics, that if you do uh, like static stretching on vibrating plates or force plates or things like that, it can help modulate sensation of stretch and thus increase range of motion temporarily. Right. So it's like a neurological override, I guess, or it just helps kind of trick right. some of the proprioceptors, so it can allow you to maybe relax a little bit more. Who knows? Uh, there's some deeper thoughts than that, but that and some blood flow is probably where I guess I've read that but again that was like a static hold on a vibrating force plate it wasn't right direct so I think the theory is maybe reduce some some tone in the the soft tissue increase some blood flow get the water content shifted around a little bit feels kind of good especially as a practitioner it's sometimes hard to do a lot of manual hands-on work all day long for like bigger people who are sports and athletic so all those things are reasons why I think we use them but again it's Flexibility has multiple parts that need to be worked on. It's not a permanent thing. You know, we're not actually going to sit there and do
0: that for the half hour. We're not going to just rely on it. I'm sold. Right. I'm, I'm, ready. Ready. I'm in. I'm All in. All right. So we know scientifically that it's been shown that vibration helps increase range of motion temporarily. Uh, temporarily. I don't. We don't know how long, do we? Uh, there was, a, I think, it was a decay of like an hour, maybe. But that's the studies are all over the place. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I guess there's so many different ways to do. That's by the way, that's why studies like this are never going to be perfect. By the way, there's yeah. a million ways to write up the methods for something. There's like a million this. factors. Yeah, there's so many yeah. things. So we know it, it. We know it helps with range of motion.
2: Is it permanent? Are no. we giving them a? Uh, are we giving them a crutch to lean on or? I would say we're giving them a temporary crutch to potentially lean on, so then you can exercise them and do what you want to do with them, so that maybe they feel a little better. Can get a little bit more range of motion temporarily in their deadlift or whatever you're trying to do, some kind of hinge or anything. I don't know why I just chose deadlift, but uh, that temporary improvement in pain and, and maybe a little bit more flexibility is going to allow them to exercise load, yeah. and load them, and and then maybe you just you keep riding and, the wave. And this is
1: my kind of combining off that is this is with all tools that come out in social media buzz, especially with the ability of marketing now. The problem is that people are taking the tool and they're using it without a diagnosis and they're using it on themselves to fix an issue and that's the problem that right. I see is like we see some videos on Instagram people are like like oh I feel tight and they're literally doing it over their biceps tendon or the front of their shoulder and you're like whoa like, right. that's not like if you use it to replace medical care it's you're going to get in hot water fast
0: right right and we we don't use it to replace medical care here in our hands no. it's uh it's an adjunct which I think what's his name again Anthony mm-hmm. it, that Anthony said quite well so it sounds like Anthony wants to use it but is kind of feeling weird about using it probably cuz a lot of people are telling him not to use it mm-hmm but it's a very small adjunct. I mean, if you're a physical therapist or or even personal trainer or whatever, and you're relying on this as your primary treatment method, then yeah, that's definitely
2: not intelligent. Anything else, it's ultrasound, it's laser, it's instrument assisted, it's manual therapy, it's anything else that we do that combines with exercise, so why not just if somebody likes it, I say go for it, especially if they like it.
0: So what do they do? They feel better, they move better. Right. So we can get probably a little bit more compliance and maybe a little bit more out of their loading yeah. that we're going to do soon afterward. If you're working with an athlete and that gets them to feel better, to perform better during their sport, especially if they're getting paid for it, right, or especially if a scholarship's riding on it, or maybe they're trying to get drafted or something like that, then yes, those are the types of reasons, but... Mike, Dan, anything else you guys want to add to the to the discussion on this? I mean, I think you guys covered it pretty well from my end on oh, things, Mike. Thanks yeah.
3: no so you... I don't really have much intelligence to add. Uh, to be honest, I, I think it, it feels pretty good and it gets muscles to relax maybe a little faster than using a standard foam roller. I know that's purely anecdotal, but when I roll in that thing, it just seems like things feel better
0: faster than with a standard foam roller. Yeah. I personally, I have a lot of delayed onset muscle soreness that I deal with, like in my legs and stuff like that. I have one at home. I use it almost all the time. I feel amazing afterwards. So. Yeah, why wouldn't we use it? <laughs> like, so I had to go so, with the classic answer. It's another tool in the toolbox. A lot of people don't like that. Yeah. That statement, though, but good, right? I think that's good. I mean, look, don't. I, it, as long as you're using it and you understand that it has limitations, but it's just a very, very small piece of what we do for people. If it helps you achieve their end game, and their end game is feeling better and moving better, and it helps you load those patterns, and it helps you return to sport or whatever it may be, then if you use it well and you don't create like this, this, this dependence on it then it's a very useful adjunct. Like you said, adjunct. It is not a primary treatment, right? Make sense? Makes sense. Love it. Awesome. What's number two? Jan, first question.
3: Matt from Australia. Is it just me or am I seeing a very similar pattern of injuries across all ages of youth athletes? For example, Severs disease at age 11, Achilles tendinopathy at age 14, and Achilles tear at age 18. Is this a coincidence, or are these med- these related medical problems a buildup of overuse across multiple years?
0: That's that's a fantastic question. But before we answer it, Jan, that was an impressive first question.
2: Um, Welcome,
0: Huge addition to the team wow. for the next. Weeks. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag I don't, James know, James, I over I over don't know how many were, we're recording. recording right now. But yeah. yeah, that was that was very very well done, Jan. So, all right. So, what do you guys think? This is. I thought this was a cool question. Mm-hmm. So, this person, which means they're not a rookie, right? This isn't a new grad, and this is where new grads, young clinicians, don't get to see some of these things, right? They've noticed that in their patient population, that certain people over a six, seven, eight-year period will have these progressive pathologies. <laughs> so, you can't be a new grad, right? You have to be treating for six, seven, eight years to be able to see them. So I think that's an interesting perspective. It sounds like what's his name again? I'm sorry, Matt. Matt. That's Matt and Janet. <laughs> so this is actually interesting that Matt brings this up, right? Because this this is this is a cool question. So look, Dave, you've worked in gymnastics, and and Dan, you've worked with a lot of these like high level fitness people. Do you guys agree with this, or do you think this is an isolated thing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I agree. This is a theory that's definitely what I'm kind of wrapping my head around now is I have written a couple longer medical presentations for organizations about, you know, gymnastics injuries over the lifespan, I guess. Because the biggest problem that a lot of youth sports, and we'll steer it away from just gymnastics, a lot of youth sports are pushing so hard in the 10 to 18 range to go to college or do whatever that they break themselves in the process of getting there, and I can now say, again, I have five years kind of here looking at it, and I've unfortunately seen two athletes that I work with, one a gymnast, one not, who worked so hard to get a scholarship that they got to their D1 university and didn't compete the first three years because they were like snowballing so many injuries as a stress fracture, one year as a slap to the second year. Who knows whether that was the college or the organization, but you get right. a lot of baggage you're carrying with you, and I think it all comes down to the forces of the sport are here and you're just, you're just attacking in the most vulnerable spot as you grow, right, so when you're under 12, 13, whatever, and you're prepudestant, it's a uh, callus bone, is not yet formed, it's, it's very soft, like at risk, so that's the weak point and all the force goes through there with a variety of other factors about your physical prep and whatever, okay, so maybe your bone, growth plate's closed, you get two more years down the road but you're still carrying those injuries with you. And then now, okay, the patellar tendon is the issue, right? Or the Achilles tendon is the issue and the, the growth plate is no longer taking the forefum, now you get an Achilles tendinopathy. Right. And then you, you go through these massive flare ups of, of deload, upload and you go through bouts, then okay, now that gets better, you get to college, you're a fully mature athlete, you're doing your hardest skills, you're training at a harder volume, you're competing at a harder volume and you tear your Achilles because, like, the tendon finally kind of breaks down and goes through. Or you you tear your ACL maybe from a progressive overuse kind of mechanism or I mean, uh, something like that. So,
0: I really think that we're seeing the exact same injury over and over and over, just in different shades. Right. So it's you know sometimes that person is predisposed to this for some reason. Right. Maybe it's anatomical. Maybe it's maybe it's a collagen issue on the inside. I've actually seen some people yeah. with weird cartilage stuff, with like muscle diseases, right? That you would have never diagnosed. So maybe you see that, but you know, You probably see that in baseball too. I was going to say.
2: Oh, of course. I know they talk about <laughs> and all that but if you have a growth plate injury like a Little League's elbow there's a really good chance that you're going to have a Tommy John surgery later in your career. So. Right.
0: And anatomically you could have a very large carrying angle for something right. like that. as many factors. To, you know or it just, maybe it's just you just didn't learn your lesson and you're still overloading. Right. These are all overload injuries, right? Dan, what do you wanna add? I was gonna say that I see a lot
3: of the same, but I see it on the other end of the spectrum. So I see a lot of like, let's say CrossFit athletes or just recreational athletes, piloters, bodybuilders, whatever it is. Let's use like the hip for example. Uh, So when a young individual, you may see some more uh, FAI or some labral pathology. As they start to age, you see more and more labral pathology and it turns into osteoarthritis. Mm, right. uh, in the shoulder, you might see some impingement or some tendonitis, which eventually turns into tendonopathy eventually turns into tearing, you know? Right, which eventually um, turns into osteoarthritis, which eventually turns into just you not liking life. Yeah, so I think it's like the similar mechanism, right? So if maybe your squat programming is a little off, right, and you have a big can deformity and you're doing a lot of force flexion or internal rotation or whatever it is, over the course of time, you're just going to get more and more wear and tear, and then you just right. see more and more advanced problems as someone ages and
0: continues with whatever they're doing. Right. So it seems like, you know, your goal, how do, how do we break this cycle, right? Well, when you identify somebody early, now that you're experienced, Matt, which is fantastic, mm. you know, this isn't the first time you've seen it, It's maybe we can start this education process that's that starts telling them, you know, it's almost like we have two things to do. It's like, how do we, how do we increase the capacity of the body to be able to handle these things better? Yeah. But also is, how do we manage your workload better? Because if you're having these overuse injuries at such a young age, you're probably not managing the workload yeah. very well. And it's going to continue to build build over time. So I think that's pretty important. I also think that's why it's quite short-sighted to say that asympt- asymptomatic people with MRI findings or something like that um, will not progress to anything further. I mean, that's we, we've actually shown that to be quite the opposite. I think, you know, one of the things that everybody likes to talk about is the spine, which I think is a completely different game. Yeah. But we have quite... Obvious documentation of progression in, in the, the joints like the shoulder and the knee and the hip that you know these asymptomatic things can progress over time and cause more problems down the road. So, you know, again, it's, it's short sighted to just see one post on Instagram and think that just because you know people with discs are asymptomatic, that, d- that doesn't mean all MRIs are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very short sighted. So, we should really put all of these pieces of the puzzle together, I guess. Yeah, so, but you know, workload management, right? Definitely. Yeah. It's a whole uh, relative risk versus absolute risk. Right. The risk of getting
3: arthritis if you have a cam deformity or labral tear is still really, really low, but right. you're much more likely to have it than someone uh-huh. who doesn't have that pathology. The MRI findings,
0: right? Absolutely. The cuff one's amazing to me too, but maybe it's just because I deal with so many shoulders. But like, people are like oh, a lot. Lots of people have an asymptomatic cuff there. Like, well, yeah. I like when you're 35, but that's gonna be a problem down the road. That person's gonna have more arthritis. That person's gonna probably end up getting like a reverse shoulder now, and this that that's a big deal. If we ignore it, say that's normal, and just work through it and pretend it's not there, because that's crazy to to do anything else. It's just, it's just very short sighted. There are plenty of people that do well. You know that are asymptomatic with with diagnostic imaging, right? But I don't know. Let's let's. I think we could do a better job trying to educate and prevent down the road in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We got one more. One more came back. So Isabel from Minnesota has another question for Dave. Ooh. How do you perform movement assessments on different sport athletes?
1: How do they differ from other sports? And is there anything in particular to be on the lookout for? I would love if a gymnastics professional could answer this question, Lenny. Sure. <laughs> all
0: but right, let me, let me get Lenny. Lenny thinks it's just about more double giants on the tunnel track. That's what, really the. What? Why don't we? Uh, why don't we answer this uh, generically yeah, and for sure. just say like, "Dude, all right, so do we do a movement movement assessment here?" At, uh, Yes. yes okay so we have, we have a baseline movement assessment that we think everybody should do and it kind of and, and captures all the basic movement patterns right That's like our baseline one It's very good for our adult fitness it's very good for most of our athletes and our PT clients and stuff like that. but when you have a specific sport, do we do anything different, Dave? Do you do anything different for your gymnast? Yeah, I mean, I would say I do for us. And if you if you spent a couple weeks in the clinic, you would
1: see all of us fall. Seventy percent is an overlapping eval that all of us do, and then thirty yeah. percent of us have whatever our sport demands. Right. So Lenny and Mike are going to look at total total range of motion in a shoulder to make sure it's it's matching for what a baseball player needs. Mike's gonna look at a hinge assessment, he's gonna look at some things from maybe the TPI, Dan's gonna put somebody in a front rack, I'm gonna maybe look at somebody in extreme hip ranges of motion, right? But that's 30% of our assessment. So that's gonna be like, okay, we have most of what we need uh, for you to be a human and an athlete in general, what are the specifics of your sport that you need? And I have been fortunate to talk with many people who have a lot of other systems as well, and they say the exact same thing. It doesn't matter what system you're using. They say like this is the base; it should help you, but then use your brain and right. try to figure out what's more. And right. you know, and if if you're looking for gymnastics, when I do have a blog post where I literally filmed myself walking myself through our some of our assessment, and then also my own thoughts, but then also a lot of gymnastics-specific stuff, so you can find that. I'm sure these guys would help you out if you're looking for a golf one, if you're
0: looking for a baseball one, whatever it is. Right, so we're all humans, right? So yeah. we, we all have the, the basic fundamental movement patterns, but then maybe we use our body a little bit specifically for a sport. So how do you do this? I'll kind of summarize this quick, actually, because I think this is an easy one. How do you do this? Well, you should have a baseline functional movement assessment that you follow that that is what you think is appropriate to monitor how well a person's moving right so there's many out there is a bunch of different things we have a specific one we use here but that's our like baseline right from there if you're working with a specific athlete that has a specific sport the first thing you need to know is the unique demands of that sport once you understand that it's really easy like if you look at the TPI assessment for golf right it's like it's not complicated it's not crazy but you have to know what a golfer Needs to be able to assess them most appropriately, right? So you have to embrace it. You have to probably be a golfer yourself. You don't have to be a golfer, but you get to really, really immerse yourself in that, that that scientific thought process of what the body needs to perform at that sport, and then figure out tests to be able to quantify that. And there, it's really that simple. So you don't have to. You don't have to, like, find a magic one on the internet. You just got to think, like, what do you think is important in that sport and how do you quantify it? And I'd say that would be it. And the only other thing I would say is don't be afraid to
1: innovate a little bit if it's not in the research. That's the thing that I see Uh, a lot of people who get stuck. There's nothing
0: in the research. Yeah,
1: right, because you're not going to find a ton of stuff that's relevant until two or three years down the road when they do it. So, like, I have some stuff that I'm like,
0: I think this is what's appropriate. You guys, the same thing, but don't, like. Step one, we can go through our 20-year history of baseball. Step one is figure out what baseball players are supposed to look like. So step one, figure out what soccer players or golfers or whatever, figure out what they're supposed to look like. Once you ha- once you know what they're supposed to look like, and sometimes it's not what you necessarily think, you start having to like create this database, either mentally or whatever, a real actual database, but you gotta know what a, that person looks like. And then step two, it says like, all right, well now that I know what the ideal person looks like or the normal or the mean looks like, then what, what tasks do I need to do to make sure that this person's fitting within that realm? Mm-hmm. Right, so like Dave said, we're, you're not going to find this in the literature. You're not going to find something magical. And most of the movement assessments in the literature are trying to predict injury. And I don't know if that's really what we're shooting for. So, so awesome. Makes sense. Awesome. Great. Another great episode. Thank you so much for your questions. Get a bunch of great questions. A ton this last month. So keep them coming. We get some great ones coming. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Oh yeah, wait. I'm supposed to say go to uh, MikeRano.com, <coughs> Click on that podcast link. You can ask us those questions and go to iTunes. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us. We'll see you again. Thanks.